0: Chapter sixteen of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins. Volume one by Robert Paltock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White. Chula Vista. Chapter sixteen. Every calm is succeeded by a storm, as is every storm by its calm. For after supper, in order to give my bride the opportunity of undressing alone, which I thought might be most agreeable the first night, I withdrew into the antechamber, till I thought she was laid. And then, having first disposed of my lamp, I moved softly towards her, and stepped into bed too, when, on my nearer approach to her, I imagined she had her clothes on. This struck a thorough damp over me, and asking her the reason of it, not being able to touch the least bit of her flesh but her face and hands, she burst out a-laughing, and running her hand along my naked side, soon perceived the difference she before had made such doubt of between herself and me, upon which she fairly told me that neither she nor any person she had ever seen before had any other covering than what they were born with, and which they would not willingly part with, but with their lives. This shocked me terribly not from the horror of the thing itself, or any distaste I had to this covering, for it was quite smooth, warm, and softer than velvet, or the finest skin imaginable, but from an apprehension of her being so wholly encased in it, that though I had so fine a companion, and now a wife, yet I should have no conjugal benefit from her, either to my own gratification, or the increase of our species.' In the height of my impatience, I made diverse essays for unfolding this covering, but unsuccessfully. Surely, says I, there must be some way of coming at my wishes, or why should she seem so shy of me at first, and now we are under engagements to each other meet me half way with such a yielding compliance? I could, if I had had time to spare, have gone on, starting objections and answering them, in my own breast, a great while longer for I now knew not what to make of it. But being prompted to act as well as think, and feeling as tenderly as possible upon her bosom for the folds or plaits of her garment, she lying perfectly still and perceiving diverse flat-broad ledges like whalebone, seemingly under her covering, which closely enfolded her body, I thought it might be all laced on together, somewhat like stays, and felt behind for the lacing. At length, perceiving me so puzzled and, beyond conception, vexed at my disappointment, of a sudden, lest I should grow outrageous, which I was almost come to, she threw down all those seeming ribs flat to her side so imperceptibly to me that I knew nothing of the matter, though I lay close to her, till, putting forth my hand again to her bosom, the softest skin, and most delightful body, free from all impediment, presented itself to my wishes, and gave itself up to my embraces. I slept very soundly till morning, and so did she. But at waking I was very solicitous to find out what sort of being I had had in my arms, and with what qualities her garment was endued, or how contrived that, notwithstanding all my fruitless attempts to uncover her, she herself could so instantaneously dispose of it undiscerned by me well thought i she is my wife i will be satisfied in everything for surely she will not now refuse to gratify my curiosity we rose with the light but surely no two were ever more amorous or more delighted with each other i being up first lighted the fire and prepared breakfast of some fish soup thickened with my cream cheese and then calling her i kept my eye towards the bed to see how she dressed herself. But, throwing aside the clothes, she stepped out ready-dressed and came to me. When I had kissed her and wished her a good day, we sat down to breakfast, which, being soon over, I told her I hoped every minute of our lives would prove as happy as those we so lately passed together, which she seemed to wish with equal ardor. I then told her, now she was my wife, I thought proper to know her name, which I had never before asked, for fear of giving uneasiness. For, as I added, I did not doubt she had observed in my behaviour, ever since I first saw her, a peculiar tenderness for her, and a sedulous concern not to offend, which had obliged me hitherto to stifle several questions I had to ask her, whenever they would be agreeable to her. She then bid me begin, for as she was now my wife, Whilst I was speaking, it became her to be all attention, and to give me the utmost satisfaction she could in all I should require, as she herself should have so great an interest in everything for the future which would oblige me. Compliments, if in compliance with old custom I may call them so, for they were by us delivered from the heart, being a little over on both sides, I first desired to know what name she went by before I found her. for. Says I, having only hitherto called you madam and my lady, besides the future expression of my love to you in the word dear, I would know your original name, that so I might join it with that tender epithet. That you shall, says she, and also my family at another opportunity, but as my name will not take up long time to repeat at present, it is Youwarkee, and pray, says she, "'Now gratify me with the knowledge of yours.' "'My dear Youwarkee,' says I, "'my name was Peter Wilkins when I heard it last. "'But that is so long ago I had almost forgot it. "'And now,' says I, "'there is another thing you can give me a pleasure in.' "'You need then only mention it, my dear Peter,' says she. "'That is,' says I, "'only to tell me if you did not by some accident fall from the top of the rock over my habitation upon the roof of it when i first took you in here and whether you are of the country upon the rocks she softly smiling answered my dear peter you run your questions too thick as to my country which is not on the rocks as you suppose but at a vast distance from hence i shall leave that till i may hereafter at more leisure speak of my family as i promised you before But as to how I came into this grotto, I knew not at first, but soon perceived your humanity had brought me in, to take care of me, after a terrible fall I had. Not from the rock, as you suppose, but, for then, I must not now have been living to enjoy you, but from a far less considerable height in the air. I'll tell you how it happened. A parcel of us young people were upon a merry swanjian round this arco which we usually divert ourselves with at set times of the year, chasing and pursuing one another, sometimes soaring to an extravagant height, and then shooting down again with surprising precipitancy till we even touch the trees. Footnote. Swangian equals flight. Arco equals water surrounded with a wood. End of footnote. When, of a sudden, we mount again and away, I say, being of this party and pursued by one of my comrades, I descended down to the very trees, and she after me. But as I mounted, she overshooting me, brushed so stiffly against the upper part of my grandi, the covering and wings of skin they flew with, footnote, that I lost my bearing, and being so near the branches, before I could recover it again, I sunk into the tree. AND RENDERED MY GRANDEE USELESS TO ME, SO THAT DOWN I CAME, AND THAT WITH SO MUCH FORCE THAT I BUT JUST FELT MY FALL, AND LOST MY SENSES. WHETHER I CRIED OUT OR NO, UPON MY COMING TO THE GROUND, I CANNOT SAY, BUT IF I DID, MY COMPANION WAS TOO FAR GONE BY THAT TIME, TO HEAR OR TAKE NOTICE OF ME, AS SHE, PROBABLY IN SO SWIFT A FLIGHT, SAW NOT MY FALL. As to the condition I was in, or what happened immediately afterwards, I must be obliged to you for a relation of that. But one thing I was quickly sensible of, and never can forget, viz. that I owe my life to your care and kindness to me. I told her she should have that part of her story from me another time. But, says I, there is something so amazing in these flights, or swangians as you call them, that I must, as the questions for this day, beg you would let me know what is the method of them, what is the nature of your covering, which was at first such an obstacle to my wishes, how you put it on, and how you use it in your Swangean. Surely, my dearest Peter, says she, but that I can deny you nothing since you are my barkat which you seem so passionately to desire, the latter of your questions would not be answered, for it must put me to the blush. Footnote. Husband. End of footnote. As to our method of flight, you saw somewhat of that last night, though in a light hardly sufficient for you. And for the nature of my covering, you perceive that now. But to show you how it is put on, as you call it, I am afraid it will be necessary, as far as I can, to put it off, before I can make you comprehend that. WHICH, HAVING DONE, THE WHOLE WILL BE NO FARTHER A MYSTERY. BUT NOT TO BE TEDIOUS, IS IT YOUR COMMAND THAT I UNCOVER? LAY THAT UPON ME, IT SHALL BE DONE. HERE I WAS AT A PLUNGE WHETHER TO PROCEED OR DROP THE QUESTION. THINKS I, IF MY CURIOSITY SHOULD BE FATAL TO ME, AS I MAY SEE SOMETHING I CAN NEVER BEAR HEREAFTER, I AM UNDONE. SHE WAITS THE COMMAND. Why so? I know not the consequence. What shall I do? At last, somewhat resolutely, I asked her whether her answer either way to my command would cause her to leave me, or me to love her less. She, seeing my hesitation and perceiving the cause, was so pleased that she cried out, No, my dear Peter, not that nor all the force on earth shall ever part me from you. BUT I CONCEIVE YOU ARE AFRAID YOU SHALL DISCOVER SOMETHING IN ME YOU MAY NOT LIKE. I FEAR NOT THAT. BUT AN IMMODEST APPEARANCE BEFORE YOU I CANNOT SUFFER MYSELF TO BE GUILTY OF, BUT UNDER YOUR OWN COMMAND. MY LOVELY YOUWORKIE, SAYS I, DELAY THEN MY DESIRES NO LONGER, AND SINCE YOU REQUIRE A WARRANT FROM ME, I DO COMMAND YOU TO DO IT. IMMEDIATELY HER GRANDEE FLEW OPEN discovering her naked body just to the hip and round the rim of her belly, and, expanding itself, was near six feet wide. Here my love and curiosity had a hard conflict, the one to gain my attention to the grandee, and the other to retain my eyes and thoughts on her lovely body, which I had never beheld so much of before. Though I was very unwilling to keep her uncovered too long, I could not easily dismiss so charming a sight. I attentively viewed her lovely flesh, and examined the case that enshrined it. But as I shall give you a full description of the Grandee hereafter, in a more proper place, I will mention it no farther here, than to tell you that, when I had narrowly surveyed the upper part of it, she, in a moment, contracted it round her so close, that the nicest eye could not perceive the joining of the parts. Indeed, my dear Youwarkee, says I, you had the best of reasons for saying you was not fearful I should discover anything in you displeasing. For if my bosom glowed with love before, you have now therein raised an ardent flame, which neither time nor aught else will ever be able to extinguish. I now almost conceive how you fly, though yet I am at a loss to know how you extend and make use of the lower part of your grandee, which rises up and meets the upper." but i will rather guess at that by what i have seen than raise the colour higher in those fair cheeks which are however adorned with blushes then running to her and taking her in my arms i called her the dearest gift of heaven and left off further interrogatories till another opportunity end of chapter 16 recording by james k white chulavista